Now, as you can imagine, what I just described is probably a recipe for a lot of clicks on links and a lot of phishing, you know, of successful phishing attacks and so on and so forth. And that's exactly what they found. So I got to stop you right there. I got to stop you right there. We can't poo poo on on uh, telework. No, no. <laughs> no I know. telework is to blame. I'm joking. When you can't let your people work remotely. They have to sit into an office and stare at the walls for eight hours a day, or else they're not productive, right? Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Cyber Guys Podcast. I'm Andrew Valencia. And I'm Michael Hill. How you doing, man? Hey, nothing to complain about. You know, I'm actually glad I got like the time to talk to you for a little bit because I I think that it's like time to that we talk about like Gary and finance. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe Pam and HR. Uh, Maybe Uncle Ted. I (laughs) I think it's time that we really talk about the human factor in cybersecurity. Uh, you and I have been in this game long enough to know that there is a very large uh, human presence in how cybersecurity gets implemented. Well, well, that that's really the thing. It's not it's not just a presence. I mean, most of the time, people are getting hacked every day, and they're assuming that there's something wrong with their technology. But most of the time, overwhelmingly, most of the time, it was not the technology. Right. I mean, it, that, alone. Okay, so. That's actually been backed up in concrete studies too, right? So uh, IBM's X-Force uh, Threat Index report from last year uh, found that 41% of the breaches that were successful in 2021 were actually from the result of phishing attacks. And that is completely, that's that's totally on the human themselves, right? Falling victim to either a spear phishing or a phishing attack. Clicking links in an email, you know, downloading attachments, right? The the regular stuff, and right, and and back in, uh, and back in 2020, uh, actually, human error, basic human error, for whatever reason, was the cause of 95 percent of the data breaches. So, yeah. think about that. Think about that. 95. So clearly, technology is not uh, failing as much as it is human behavior is just you know, being shown in full force. Right. And it's, and human error, I think, I think it's, it's easy to say, well, humans make mistakes, but there's really a couple different kinds of, of, uh, of errors that can be made. Right. Just think of, just think of this one. I mean, last year made the news zoom, you know, everyone's lifeline during uh, the pandemic, 500,000 users were impacted. And how did they get in? It was the passwords. Not the passwords being used by Zoom, but the passwords being used by the Zoom users. Uh, hackers simply uh, trolled and looked looked through the dark web until they could find some uh, passwords associated with some email addresses. And then because people don't use different um, passwords for different sites, they keep reusing the same ones over and over again, a half a million people breached. And and that is due to just, just somebody either being uh, ignorant or lazy or just making the, the, the wrong choice, right? And choosing maybe ease over security. And that caused a lot of issues, especially like when uh, I know uh, my kids, when they went to school, they uh, they had uh, Zoom classes and there were all kinds of stories at that time of people popping into like high school classes and elementary school classes because they just set like the password one, two, three, four, five uh, for a lot of these. 
Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's an issue and it's a problem that should be addressed. But, and when we talk about human error, I, I do think that there's, it's important to like set aside, uh, what is the, uh, ignorance, uh, of, of the human versus the incompetence maybe of the human. Right. So we have a couple, we have human errors where they're more per, perhaps skill set based, right. Where the human being either knows that what they're doing is wrong but they're making an, an active choice not you know, to do the wrong thing um, or they're having, you know, some type of lapse in judgment maybe. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think that covers some of it, but th- there's even another layer that you got to add to that. And that's culture. Um, in some organizations, there's a culture where uh, the human dynamic causes people to not deal with the security risks that are there. I mean, perfect example uh, was the big OP- OPM breach uh, that affected Everybody with clearances across the entire spectrum of government contractors, government employees, everybody. Everybody was basically hacked because uh, the communication and the feedback loop for people that know what's going on with the people that make decisions was just broken. Uh, it was a don't tell me bad news scenario. Uh, you can call it a Putin effect. You know, only tell me the good. Don't tell me the bad, even if it blows up in my face. Yeah. And and I think that there's there's. Uh... Uh, that's largely based on like decision-based errors, right? So that's like uh, ignorance is bliss kind of mindset in an organization. Like you said, kind of like that that Putin effect, right? Don't tell me any bad news. Um, and I think that in order to address those, uh, you have to take different different tacks, right? Uh, there's different solutions for that out there, and it's not technology. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, back in 2020, there was a, a, a huge amount, uh, somewhere over like 45 or 46 percent of the uh, of the human errors that led to successful data breaches of systems were due to people not checking to see if they were sending an email to the right person. Just com- just just a misspelling of someone's name or or copy and pasting the wrong uh, email address, sending sensitive data off to who knows. And that gives, and, and basically what that causes is a complete breakdown of any security that you had in place, whether it be technological or process driven, you know, you found a backdoor directly into the system because your user decided to just either through ignorance or through a really poor decision, send out sensitive data. And, and some of it is just, uh- Honest mistakes. I mean, like, like, take my name, you know, Michael Hill. Do you know how many millions of Michael Hills there are out there? There's too I many mean, Michaels out mis- there. There's too many mis- Michaels. Yeah. <laughs> it just, just, just picking the wrong one, you know, out of an address book and you send the email to the wrong person in a large organization, you know, that could have some huge effects. Massive. And, 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 and there's other, and knowing that you have bad actors that are going to try to exploit that in every organization. Uh, knowing that human beings tend to, you know, make those mistakes, that organizations make those uh, make those mistakes, uh, you have things like phishing that become extremely prevalent. Um, when we talk about uh, users and how we maybe mitigate the risk of users, you know, sending off that email in the blind or uh, answering or clicking on a phishing link, you know, I think that awareness is part of the solution, but it's not all of it, right? Uh, awareness is a lot where you take your annual security training and, and, you know, you have your, uh, your security, uh, officer sit, sit everyone down and give the brief. But at the end of the day, that's not enough. 
Well, it's crucial, uh, but it depends on your dependency on uh, the human factor. I mean, think, think about this. You log in to Amazon.com to buy something. Does Amazon.com care about the security on your laptop? The answer is not really, uh, because they don't expose their environment to you. You're considered to be an untrusted you know, counterpoint anyway. So their architecture is designed to not trust much and to uh, really, we, we call it a, a zero trust architecture. You don't trust any communication channel because you don't know if the other end is what you think it is. You know, so there are architectures that reduce the human impact, but the way most systems are built today, the, the way most organizations push everything out to the client side and the endpoint has to be secure, therefore, therefore you have to have endpoint security. Those architectures just amplify the effects of human error so that even if you get the percentage of, of human errors and, and, and bad decisions and people not keeping up with their um, uh, awareness training, you still, uh, with that low percentage, have openings uh, that threat actors can take advantage of. So, so there, there really needs to be an evolution in the way uh, systems are architected as well. Right. And, and, that's, and I think that's why a lot of organizations do fail when they implement uh, security architecture, because I, I do think that they focus too much on the technology aspect and they don't, uh, they don't uh, address cybersecurity for their organization, starting with the human factor, starting with the, with the propensity for humans to err right? And make mistakes. I think that that's the foundation that you have to start at. And that's also, the thing is what you just said, that's also a human factor. Because think about it. How many organizations uh, where the ultimate decision maker looks at computer systems as kind of magical things that those nerds take care of, uh, don't really understand it. I can tell you so many organizations where the CIO uh, is technologically absolutely incompetent, but they have other executive experience, you know, um, maybe they moved them over from, from running another division and say, okay, you're, you're the CIO now. Uh, that, that was the case when, when target was breached a number of years back, you know, the, uh, the head of it, the CIO for, for a major corporation, uh, that was breached in a, in an ugly way, had no actual computer experience at all. They came over from, from merchant yeah, merchandise. Uh, uh, I, I forgot what her what her degree was in, but her, her specialty was in wholesale mer merchandise sourcing or something like that. And yet now this person is the CIO of a major corporation. I think. So that, are you really I, surprised? I think there's a good, right. I think there's a good faith argument to be made. What I think there's a good argument to be had, whether or not chief executives uh, for any company should they have some kind of foundational experience or education in cybersecurity. I think that's a good discussion to have. I think though in today we we have to begin with the assumption that a majority of the CIOs out there are not going to be technically competent or knowledgeable uh, about cybersecurity and I think that's where your your CISOs, your chief information security officers come in. That's where you you know your next line down. Um, that's where uh, it it's on them unfortunately to really build out uh, a culture that is uh, found, founded on cyber uh, on sound cybersecurity practices, and the biggest one since you know we're talking about humans themselves, it, it's got to start with the human beings that, first and foremost, right? Uh, 
we talk about the well, that, that's really what I mean. Yeah, and we talk about the technolo- technological aspect. Well, we talk about the technological aspect of it, but it there are issues, you know, whether or not like uh, you build a zero trust architecture, um, where you can have someone tailgate directly into your data center, and a human being can say, "Oh, let me let me hold the door open for you," or "Oh, uh, yeah, go ahead." You know, I'm not checking credentials today because because I'm distracted. One way or the other, you still have uh, risks. Uh, and uh, known attack vectors that you know bad actors are going to exploit. I think you touched on the key point: is you have to realize that there's n- no one thing. Uh, therefore, there will not be a silver bullet. And everybody wants a silver bullet. They want to say, "Hey, I, if I buy this or implement that or do this, you know, everything will magically be just fine." But that's never going to happen. Uh, which is why we got to think in terms of architectures. And the architectures have to uh, cover both physical and technical. Uh, considerations. You can't just try to build uh, a solution uh, that's centered on, you know, a widget. You know, you got to look at the human factor. Like, you know, are you actually using just good old fashioned locks and cameras and guards, you know, uh, (laughs) you know, cards, guns and and, and guard dogs, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, those sorts of things are are a piece, you know, uh, policies and, and, and behavior to the extent that you can control and modify behavior of people. Uh, but I got to go back to this point about the top. You know, if the top, the senior decision makers aren't on the right page, if they're, if they're not in sync, if they're not thinking of this the way it needs to be thought of, uh, they'll never see the business case, no, no matter how well uh, a second, third tier down guy makes the case to them. You know, because, you know, I, I'll never forget a customer told me once that, um, uh, he, he basically said, you know what? Everybody I deal with looks at you guys, you cybersecurity guys, as just fence builders. You know, uh, you're just fence builders. They, they really don't see how you fit into the mission, how you fit into the, the business objectives. You know, you're just out there building the fence. Uh, it's an important, we got to have a fence, yeah, but it's not core. And so long as that's the mindset and that comes from the top all the way down, you know, you're, you're going to see the propagation of human errors and human mistakes and the, the failure to mitigate the risks that are posed by, by the people at every echelon, at every uh, uh, example. I mean, take, take, for example, the big solar winds bridge. I mean, that was massive. Again, made the news. When was it? Last year? The yeah, year it started last, in 20, 2019, uh, made the news. Uh, what was it? FireEye exposed it in 2020, I think. Yeah. Yeah. When you really peer, peer back, what was it? It was, uh, yeah, it, it impacted 18,000 organizations, right? Uh, it, it was in March 2020. That's when it was, March 2020. And, uh, you know, they compromised a, a, a DLL file, uh, Dynamic Link Library used in the Windows platform uh, for an update uh, to a platform by SolarWinds. And in the end, it affected all these organizations, including six government departments. And it wasn't discovered until almost the next year, December of 2020. Now, when you really peel back the covers of, of, of that whole issue, there was somebody at some level that left the uh, default password on a critical piece allegedly. of Allegedly. Yeah, so, and, that, and that's what the interesting thing with that, with it that, specific, it's all with that <laughs> specific attack, I think it's very interesting because we talk about building a zero trust architecture with regard to uh, our users, but Oftentimes, even in a zero, um, uh, even with that, uh, supply chain risks are completely forgotten about. And 
that's exactly what solar winds was in 2020 was it was a, it was all due to the supply chain because it wasn't just any file that they got act that those hackers got access to it was a uh file that they were able to put into the uh patches that solar winds was sending out uh via their platform right and so you had a trusted uh a supplier of security patches uh installing software onto a, your system that created a backdoor for bad actors. Um, now, allegedly that was due to perhaps some default passwords. What something that was discovered as a result of that though, for a fact was the fact that the uh, patch server itself had the password of solar winds one, two, three. Um, and I say allegedly because it's like there is, there's law active lawsuits from investors going on, uh, between investors and, and, and chief executives and solar winds. Uh, and it's still being, uh, you know, uh, litigated today. Uh, but ultimately what we're talking about though, is, is a, is human error. It was the, yeah, it, it's, it, it all stemmed from someone not building a, who probably should have known better deciding, making the decision either through, uh, through ignorance or, uh, Poor judgment. Poor judgment. Making ma- making a completely easy to guess password. Um, it, it's it's a technique that the uh, identified you know hackers from SolarWinds uh, have have did not create and did not discover, but it's been propagated through you know this big attack and a lot of other uh, hacking organizations have adopted that um exact same tactic and it's worked so but but, but the thing is it, it shows you that human error goes beyond the end yes. user. so yep. it, it's always uh cast as this is a situation where we have people clicking links in the emails now don't get me wrong 41 percent of people clicking links in emails for all the successful attacks is a huge figure but even aside from that some of the biggest most notorious breaches of all were not user error but they were still human error uh, so whether it's human error at the top of the organization making bad decisions and acquisitions and choices for how to structure their organization around information technology, or it's bad uh, implementation staff, you know, taking shortcuts, you know, ignoring the best practices when it comes to hardening their environment. Same thing when it comes to end users. Everybody at every point of it creates and introduces a uh, a, a susceptibility, a vulnerability to the overall system. Uh, that you can't mitigate with a new firewall. You can't fix with some new widget. Uh, you have to deal with the actual uh, source problem. And the source problem in each of these cases is, is a person. Yeah, and, and it, when you combine those factors, uh, it, it it creates just exponential problems, just an, an, a huge amount of problems uh, and exposes you to just a greater um, attack surface, right? Uh that next stat down the line from that IBM uh, X Factor report, it it had the next most like uh, uh, the, mo- the next category of um, a successful attack vectors as technological vulnerabilities. So when you combine the two, when you take human error and technological vulnerabilities and you put them together, you've got a really you had a recipe for just bad bad news, right? Uh, WannaCry. Uh, it was back in 2017, I think. Back in 2017. No. Uh, Wanna, it was WannaCry. Than that, I think, wasn't it? I think. Or maybe it was. Well, the WannaCry ransomware uh, attack, right? It caused yeah, millions yeah. in damages because it like it, it infected 
thousands of computers worldwide. And it used this uh, exploit called uh, Eternal Blue, I believe. But the problem is, is that when it started to get exploited, when the majority of computers were already infected, Microsoft had had a patch for that specific vulnerability out for a few months. So it was nothing new. And everybody that got infected, was be, uh, it was due to the fact that they hadn't updated their security patches or they hadn't installed the up-to-date security patches. So you have... You know, it's funny. Uh, you know, it's funny about Eternal Blue. Uh, that was, and I'll uh, use the keyword allegedly, <laughs> uh, was part, part of the, uh, the cyber weapons tool set that was leaked from NSA. Uh, I wrote an article about it as soon as that stuff hit the, the dark web. And, and everybody in the vulnerability management community all scrambled to figure out the countermeasure for those tools. Uh, but, but all of that ultimately came from another human error, and the, or not, not a human error, rather, a human malicious actor, but an inside threat, which is a human factor. You know, someone within the organization who was trusted, who shouldn't have been trusted, leaking information out and ultimately, you know, dumping a treasure trove of, of uh, advanced cyber weapons right into the uh, domain where regular uh, script kiddies and, and, and hackers that really don't have uh, the sort of skill to, to, to engineer something like that could still do the same kind of you know malicious attack. But once the cat's uh, out of the bag, it's out of the bag, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when yeah. I when so I talk to even, even that human actor. Right. Yeah. And, and, and when I talk to my clients, I think I, one of the things I like to address with them, especially when we talk insider threat, uh, a lot of times what I hear from from clients, especially like those that are in higher uh, level management um, is, well, if they're going to break into this place uh, with a gun, we're going to have bigger problems. Right. That's what their mind goes to when they think insider threat. Um, and, I, and I think that there's a there's a large uh, misconception out there, especially among those that are in management positions, because um, that's who I've heard it most from that, you know, insider threats are like some mission impossible spy mission, you know, spy th- attack, right? That you have, you know, Ethan Hunt grappling down from the ceiling, you know, into a data center. And and in fact, that's not typically what, what we mean. And everything that we've talked about for, you know, the last uh, 20 minutes or so has been, in fact, not that kind of attack. It's been the human being in your organization that you've entrusted access uh, at certain levels and certain privileges uh, that can cause these kinds of issues. And I think turning away from that and focusing on, you know, these uh, advanced persistent threats, I think that's important, of course, for a lot of organizations, especially ones that, that are uh, dealing with, uh, you know, governmental agencies or the military and DOD. But for companies and organizations that are in the private sector, AT, uh, APTs can are, are important to consider, but in fact, as we've just talked about, yeah, you're going to have hackers that are trying to going to try to exploit people, whether it be through technological means or, or social engineering or whatever kind of attack. But at the end of the day, your insider threat is the people that you hire and the people that you entrust with the use of your of your system every single day. That gets overlooked all too often. Which is why that that analogy of fence building is just ridiculous, you know, because <laughs> so many organizations, that's the way they build their architecture. They, they look at perimeter defenses. They're always thinking about outside in. Uh, but that's not really the way it goes. It, it, it's, it's even when it's a phishing attack, it's modeled as if it's an inside out attack. So uh, if, if you do um, uh, what's called a, a, a reflexive um, uh 
access control list on a firewall, uh, it's assuming that traffic that originates inside is trusted, therefore it allows the re response uh, through. Uh, so you basically initiate from the inside and, and then the traffic that's coming from the outside is seen, seen as innocuous. But guess what? Uh, if the inside was ultimately compromised, it was a bot, it was some sort of malware that, that, uh, that had been installed on some system uh, to initiate that uh, outgoing um, communication. Now you are getting the, the outside in uh, attack that compromises all your normal countermeasures, all your normal security. Now, you can do behavioral analytics, predict predictive analytics and other um, models to see if, if that's unusual traffic. But the really good tra hackers out there, the APTs, know how to make uh, that traffic look so innocuous, so utterly harmless, uh, that it would absolutely be passed by 99.999% of the firewalls in the world. So it still, even when you use these sophisticated uh, attack methods, it still comes down to the human factor. It still comes down to uh, someone not doing what they should have done within the organization, uh, even if it's just a user clicking a link. So something that I think that's, 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 that's also very interesting uh, to consider, especially when we're talking about just just human beings being being human beings, is the last couple of years with the explosion of telework or remote work. You know, what some things that I found in researching for this episode, I thought were really were really interesting. Um, Stanford University did a did a study uh, with regards to the psychology of human error, especially specifically with regards to cybersecurity. And what they found was kind of shocking. Uh, what they found was a majority of the users of remote workers of, of you, people who uh, are remoting in uh, either um, full time or in a hybrid system, worked longer hours and had higher levels of stress. They also found that the uh, a great number of those individuals had less familiarity with their coworkers. Now, as you can imagine, what I just described is probably a recipe for a lot of clicks on links and a lot of phishing, you know, of successful phishing attacks and so on and so forth. And that's exactly what they found. So all right, now all right, I got to stop you right there. I got to stop you right there. We can't poo poo on, on uh, telework. No, no. <laughs> no I know. Telework is to blame. I'm joking. And you can't let your people work remotely. They have to sit into an office and stare at the walls for eight hours a day or else they're not productive, right? That's the, <laughs> yeah, no, no, we can't have that. We can't have that. Yeah. But, but, but it, it does illustrate the point, but the vector of attack is there. So how, so, so again, how do we address that? Right. How do we address that? You know, I, you know, I got hired by a company and in 30 days I have a laptop and I'm working remotely with uh, people across the world that I may or may not know their names offhand. How do we secure ourselves from being victims? And, and again, uh, some of it is going to be a technological solution. Some of it is going to be a training solution. Uh, but most of it is going to be awareness by all parties of the fact that this is uh, uh, behavior that is potentially dangerous. Uh, I, I think, you know, part of the, the, the problem with uh, the awareness side of, of user error or, or, or the human factor is not recognizing dangerous behavior. And for instance, if, if you're walking down the middle of a highway with you know, 80 mile an hour traffic on each side of you, you, you know you're in a dangerous situation. Uh, it, it's obvious to you. If, if, you're, if you're standing on a, on a hill in a, in a, in a lightning storm 
uh, with no trees around and you're the highest thing in, in the vicinity, you know, you know, you're in a dangerous situation. You see a tornado coming right at you. You know, you're in a danger. There are situations where we know when we're in a dangerous situation, but there's so many situations when we're uh, at the computer uh, where many users and even people that are on technical staff don't recognize as dangerous situations, situations where their behavior needs to be adjusted because of the danger. Uh, and that, that's, I think, an, an area where awareness training needs to uh, be enhanced a little bit, help people realize uh, a little bit more about how susceptible they are at all various uh, points and times of their daily activities. Yeah, yeah. training and awareness is, is, is a huge piece of that puzzle. I, I like to think, though, that, you know, even though we just spent the last, you know, 25 minutes or so um, kind of bagging on, you know, the end users for clicking on phishing links and not knowing any better. Right. Or making poor decisions. I, I like to think that there is a a, a way to address this or uh, through organizational culture where you you instead uh, instead of treating the uh, users as a as a inherent risk, um, as a part of the process or as a tool to be used, um, or as a solution. Um, they, uh, I take it, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, castle offense in cybersecurity when we talk, when we build up, um, network architecture, but it's really the same when we talk about, you know, employing cybersecurity, um, uh, strategies throughout an organization, right? Everybody has a part to play. Um, even the end users, the end users, uh, should feel empowered to make some, make those security decisions, whether it be as part of an insider threat program, whether it be as part of an insider, or I'm sorry, a, um, incident response, uh, strategy, um, standard users should have the ability to feel, to, to feel that they have a part to play. And I think that gets missed a lot in some of these awareness, um, training, um, strategies that you see out there for a lot of organizations. It's very much just, Hey, I'm going to throw out a bunch of buzzwords to you. I'm going to throw out buzzwords to you. Every twelve months, and you're supposed I think to that's remember. True. I think that's, yeah, I, I think that's true. But you know, as an as an old programmer, I, I do recognize some of the flaws in just the way we we build systems, the way we, and I'm talking about literally the way we write code. There, there there's far too much trust in um in the way applications work together. I mean, even when we teach uh, first year. Uh, computer programmers, how to do a, a web application. Uh, we teach them how to write uh, an application or code that would be immediately susceptible to script injection and uh, in some cases, even SQL injection attacks where you actually can, can effectively get access to the backend uh, database right through uh, the the web server. So when we're actually teaching new programs how to program, we teach them in a very simplistic way, and we kind of have to to some degree. But we don't start uh, in the early stages of, of uh, new developer training, getting them thinking along the line of, okay, you can't trust anything. How do you write defensive code that still gets the job done, that still achieves some of your goals? So, so a lot of the problems that we put on the user is really, uh, in some cases, in a lot of cases, I would say, uh, design architecture, the network ar architecture, the application system architecture, uh, the, 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 the data flows and the way uh, the data itself is analyzed. Because in the end, when, when you do threat analysis, you got to look at the information that's passing from point to point so that you can 
isolate and, 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 and differentiate, you know, normal from abnormal. When, when, when we build um, seam solutions, that, that we do the same thing. We're looking at traffic, trying to ident identify anomalies based on either signatures or some sort of behavior. It's the same basic principle. So there are technological solutions that can also mitigate the human factor, but it, it takes a holistic approach. We have to do it all. Well, couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, I, I think that's what we're going to call it for today. Uh, so, uh, everybody, uh, if, uh, if you'd like to know more about the references that we used, uh, uh, for today's episode, be sure to check out the, uh, the show's notes or the episode details. Um, be sure to like, and subscribe and, uh, remember stay safe, be secure and be sure. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.